Hi, I'm Rachel Monteleone and welcome to Kittypedia, the podcast. I'm not an expert. However, I do speak with them with the view of providing you with expert information and advice to help you be the best parent that you can be. Together, let's give children the life they deserve and a positive future. Hello and welcome. Now, if you're a parent who would like helpful and supportive tips, how you can talk to your children about consent, then you're in the right place. Today, we aim to help you help your children to fully understand concepts like bodily autonomy and verbal consent and how to have healthy, happy and safe relationships and where you as a parent or carer can start helping them with this by having open conversations. And on the flip side, we'll address what has been in the media recently as an example of what can happen when and if we don't have age-appropriate conversations with children, which can eventuate to larger problems in their teens and adulthood. As we know, consent has most certainly been a hot topic of 2021 so far. And what's most upsetting is that it's taken many young women in schools and even in our parliament to raise the issue, to be brave enough to voice their opinions and to speak out of the allegations of sexual abuse by other students of similar age and in parliament, as we just mentioned, by their co-workers for this topic to be brought to attention. So as parents and carers of children of young adults, where have we gone wrong? So if we can start with some of these basic concepts and open up conversations about consent, the question is, will it make these conversations much more easier to talk about the hard stuff later on in life? Well, to do this, we're actually going to speak with our special guest. Now, overall, prevention is so much better than the cure which um, our special guest, Kari, is here to discuss. Now, Kari is an expert in fostering children's positive mental health. Now, she's helped over 25,000 children, parents, and educators with evidence-based strategies, tools and approaches, as well as common sense tips to help kids stop worrying so much and overall just to help manage their anxiety. Now, her expertise has made her an in-demand conference speaker, author, and consultant uh, wanting to foster children's positive mental health. And she recently launched her second book, which I've just got here, Raising a Mentally Fit Generation. So today, Kari will walk us through a step-by-step guide how you can have age-appropriate conversations with concepts that are the stepping stones and foundations for understanding bodily consent. Welcome back, Kari. How are you? I'm well, Rachel. How are you? Yeah, I'm really excited to be approaching this subject. It it is a a big one to to approach, um, but in doing my research and preparation for this today, it really did occur to me that, you know, all of the things that have been in the media, which we will be talking about also, um, you know, time and time again, we, we, it comes up in conversation about, oh, well, you know, we have to stop these things happening. Well, the only way to really stop them from my point of view is to to start at the beginning and that's actually to have these harder conversations with children as early as preschool. And that's exactly what your article um, sort of addresses. And I guess for me, it's actually not about having hard conversations. It's about being willing to have the conversation oh, because 100%. the later we have the conversation, most probably the harder it is going to be. But I firmly believe, I'm, I'm, as you said, I'm a background of being an early childhood teacher and working with families and children. And 
my perspective is that we can actually teach our children about consent and respect from a very young age. Yes. And that we actually need to be doing that if we want to prevent. And and my real belief is that proactive prevention is way better than the what we're having reactive responses to at the moment so how do we start when they're young having these conversations what do they look like what do we need to be doing as parents so that we can help prevent this in the future absolutely and approaching this subject um and talking about sex and conversation with children is 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 an uncomfortable uh topic in any in any any way, shape, or form. But if we're starting and opening the conversations with other concepts about consent, if it is about just playing and sharing toys and those types of things and giving children and empowering them with the, uh, I guess, just the empowerment to be able to say, no, actually, I don't want this to happen. These mm. are these the, the, the stepping stones, the foundations that I was talking about earlier, don't you think? Absolutely. And I think what you've hit on there is really critically important is the child's ability to say, no, I don't want this to happen. Yes. And sometimes you can see it, uh, you can see that children actually cringe or withdraw and draw back when people are getting in their personal space or when they don't like something. And as adults, we most probably need to pick up on that. If our children don't have the words to express that at the time, but you can see your child shrinking like a violet, you have every right to say, hey, that's that most probably isn't going isn't okay at the moment. You can see little Mary or Johnny, he doesn't want that to happen. So could you please stop it? And your child will then know that you're picking up on their cues, you're modeling that those boundaries are okay to have. And you're actually providing the words uh, in a, in a basic way. Yeah. So simple. So some of these simple concepts can be modelled in early childhood, which we're going to delve into um, quite a bit. But I'd like to know from your perspective: Do you think that teaching kids about consent is much more than uh, a conversation about physical and personal relationships? It really anchors down to respect and what personal values you know you've been taught as a child, you know, as a parent. You know, and then as a parent, what you've adopted and adapted and what you're passing on to your own children. So it anchors down to, to respect holistically, do you think? Yes. And it's not just respect for women. This is a respect for all persons. Yes. This is a respect because lots of, oh, we've got to have respect for women. No, actually, it's a respect for persons. It's a respect for animals. Like consent is about knowing that sometimes, and I often work with children with pets as well, sometimes a cattle archer, the cat doesn't want you to do that. So no, the cat can't tell you in words, but you can see that the cat does not, or the dog does not want you to touch it. Its ears are back or whatever it is. It's actually tuning children in to get them to understand that sometimes other animal, like animals or other humans, don't want to interact with us or have the right not to do that. But yeah. we also have the right, and one of the things I always teach children is that if you put your arm out, so like that, and that's a bodily space bubble. That's my personal space bubble. So uh, around my body, where however big my arm is, that's a distance where that's my personal space bubble and that's your personal space bubble. And I can't come into your space bubble unless you want me to. Love so that. it's a really easy tip to start with children and saying, hey, actually, you're in my space. Yes. Now, we have a lot to cover. So I just wanted to acknowledge that we published your article titled Consent Education Needs to Start Early. Now, for someone who hasn't read the article yet, 
Can you please tell us what it's about and, of course, what inspired you to write it? What inspired me to write it was everything that was going on in the media. I was concerned and, again, I am so glad my heart breaks that this is that these things have happened to these young women and young men in different and uh, and things that have been happening but my i am so glad that this has been brought to light because we needed as a country to have this conversation australia needed to to grow up and have this discussion yeah because for so long with Chantelle Contest and she was the young lady who lives in London who'd actually started a petition after Brittany Higgins and said, how many of you have gone through these experiences in in high schools? And then the stories started flooding in. Yeah. This worries me because what we are seeing is that whether it be exposure to pornography or, or those sorts of things or not being taught about respect, we're seeing young men and young women to a certain degree, but young men particularly, not understand that this is what respect looks like. This is what um, a, a consensual relationship yep. looks like. It doesn't look like what you've seen on the internet or things like that or or even on TV shows or social media. Actually, it's about respecting all persons. It's about asking if you can touch somebody or kiss somebody. It's about, and even, and I go back and I talk to this and and when in the article I talk about, you know, we need to name our bodily parts. So these are your breasts. So if you were going to, or these are, and for small children, you'd use the words that are appropriate. But if we were talking about bodily parts, and particularly this is crucially important when we're talking about small children, because if they don't have the language to say somebody touched my penis, then they can't tell us that something is going wrong or that somebody may have done something they didn't want them to do. So children need to have those words because if you yeah. call it a wing-wang or a, or a doodle, we may understand, but some other people may not understand. And I'm not trying to sexualise childhood. That's not what I'm doing. I'm actually saying if we give them the proper words, they are then more likely to be able to say, you know what, so-and-so did this and I didn't like it. Yes, a cry for if help that may actually sense. be misconstrued or maybe missed because the the, the word the wording has not been all yeah. the words haven't been used. You know, and these concepts and lessons need to be taught as early as possible and talked about more than once. So this is something that you, think you just have one conversation and it goes away. So this is something for us to really take into consideration. But I'd like to know, I mean, from your point of view, how early do you think parents can start talking uh, talking to their kids about consent? I know in the media they talk about or there has been discussion of, oh, as young as a baby. Well, what I used to describe if I was changing nappy, I'd say, I'm going to change your nappy now. This is what I'm doing. So I'd talk about that and do things like that. Most probably around three or four. So I would be describing what I'm doing. We're going to wash these parts of your body. And I definitely say to little people, we're about three, that these, the parts of your togs, they're your private parts of your body. Other people don't get to touch them. Mm. If I'm going to touch them, I'm going to, um, we're going to wash those parts now because that's what we do in the shower or those sorts of things. But it's about making sure they understand that people need to ask if they want to come up and do something to them. And I guess I've experienced it with um, 
elderly uncles or things like that when I was little and I know inside I'd be smart like I'd be smiling and gritting my teeth but when they came towards me it's not that they were being lecherous but you just didn't want to have that prickle rubbed up against you and done what and it was like oh okay yep I'll, I'll give them a hug but I try and teach people now look we need to ask, do you want this to happen? And like, do you want grandma or grandpa to give you a hug? If they don't, that's okay too. And grandparents need to understand that. And we have the conversation with family about this is why we're teaching that. Mm -hmm. So these concepts can be modelled in early childhood uh, and taught, as we were just saying, as early as possible to help children, you know, begin to establish I guess the indiv individual boundaries, as you were just saying about family members, which I, I want to delve into in, in just a little bit, but also to understand as we're just talking about respect and what respect looks like, um, not just for, for them understanding themselves, but I guess other family members and how they, mm. they need to respect if, if a child doesn't want to be hugged or kissed. Um, and just in enabling ch children to feel empowered overall. So, you know, what are some of the basic examples um, for parents um, if we're starting with preschoolers um, that they can I use guess then? I would definitely look at and say we, we ask children to respect us so we respect them. If they, for example, if they're going to get dressed and I used to, now it would frustrate the hell out of me because it would take Mitchell forever to get dressed, um, but I encouraged him and encouraged his independence and I said, you pick the clothes. So if that's what he picked on that day, then okay, that's what he was going to wear. Now it may not have been what I would have picked, um, as long as it didn't smell or, and was clean and like he couldn't wear clothes three or four days running, it may not have matched or those sorts of things. But I guess for me, that was about my respect. I'd given him that job and I respected what he chose. So again, but that changes when he get, when he was getting into a teenage, I'd most probably say, Hey, Mitch, that doesn't go with that. Do you still want to wear it? So it would change at different ages. But at three or four, he wouldn't really care what goes. They were just his favourite clothes and that's what, and he wanted to wear gumboots one day. Okay, it might be a bit tricky or could be a bit hot, but if that's what you want to wear, then that's what we're going to do. And it's around making sure that children know you respect them, that yep. do you want to play? And often I would give a choice of two games. So I say to parents I'm working with, you respect their choice. Would you like to play, play Monopoly or would you like to play You Know? And then you go with that choice because um, we don't always have to give our child the choice all the time. We're modelling those sorts of things so that other people can choose as well. So it might be their turn to choose today and then mum's turn to choose tomorrow or auntie's turn to choose or grandma's turn to choose, but that everybody is respected. So their choice is respected and we go with that. Yeah. I wanted to speak about role modeling and just expand on that a little bit more because it seems I think that we need to role model asking permission um, to, to children in general, um, even for things, for example, like sharing um, or playing um, with their belongings and encouraging them to take permission, um, even in, in a play scenario, uh, to be able to, to play with another child's toys mm. or share their food or just be in their personal space. Um, so no matter how small and trivial, I guess these things may seem and may actually help our children to develop an understanding of what consent actually means and how they can actually then ask for that also. So I'd just like to know, I mean, how can these types of behaviours also help cultivate consent, do you think? 
Oh, what you've described is critically important because sometimes we just assume that children want to or children should share. But if you think about it, if you had something favourite that was yours as an adult and somebody came up, took it off you and said, you have to share it with somebody else, you'd want to smack them as well. Like you'd want to be in. So it's actually about asking and making sure and saying, okay, whether you set it up beforehand when people are coming to visit your home um, and say, we're going to be sharing our toys today, what toys are you willing to share? Mm. And it's that sort of thing. So we give the child the choice and say, well, we're going to, because Samantha's coming over, she's your friend, we're going to have things and you will be, we will need to share because she's coming to our house. She's not bringing her toys. So what toys are you willing to share? What And get those toys out because they're made be toys that the child has a really special place for and does not want to share and that is okay but so I understand saying look absolutely understand you don't want to share those ones so we'll put them aside we'll put them possibly away in the cupboard we're willing to share these ones that's what we'll have out today hmm. uh, another one is looking and saying and talking about how if you don't want to play with somebody, it's okay to say no, particularly in primary school. A lot of people, oh, you have to play. Actually, we don't always feel like playing with other people. So the flip side of that is we need to know and help our children understand that if you don't want to play with somebody, that's okay, but you need to say, actually, I don't want to play today. I want to go to the library or I'd like to read a book or I'm playing with somebody else. So we give them the words but we also then need to give them the skills to be able to say when somebody tells you they don't want to play, you don't force that play either. So it's really helping them understand that you can be told no as well. You, It's okay for you to say that you don't want to play with somebody else, but they may say or other people may say no. When somebody says no, what do you do? How do you respond? And that's how we model it because when we say no to them, we expect them to hold that, like to respect that boundary. We also as parents need to respect that boundary when they say no. So if she said, if your little girl or little boy says, no, I don't want to share those toys, cool, that's great. We're going to put them away so you don't have to share them. So we're showing them we respect them when they say no and how to deal with it when other people say no. You touched on something really important just then, which is just um, giving children the, uh, the right wording so they actually know how to articulate their feelings. And, and you did mention it earlier, earlier on in the chat also, because if we don't teach them how to feel that feeling and then how to articulate it and what words to use in any capacity, this is where some of the problems can start. So I'd just love to know on the flip side, if we don't practice these things, what does it actually mean and what can it lead to? And that's the concerning part is that if we don't role play them or start modeling this early, Rachel, we end up with children who can't regulate their emotions um, because you have to be able to name an emotion to tame it. As the, and that's Mike Siegel's work and we, I talk about that in the book as well. But what we look at is saying, how do you deal with difficult emotions? Because being told no sometimes makes us a bit upset, can make us upset as adults. Mm. So how do we teach our children to deal with that? What does it look like? So, yes, we do need to role play that. If somebody says, no, I don't like it, and that can be going, even if it's a tickling game, stop, you stop. If you And you teach your children to say, if you see a face that's smiling, 
and wants to play, then absolutely you can play a game of tag. But if you see somebody and you talk about what do different faces look like, um, how can we tell when kids aren't enjoying the game anymore? And how can you tell somebody that you're not enjoying the game anymore? Because when they say stop, if if you've got a family that wrestles or plays or tickles, which is great, but sometimes kids don't want to do that anymore and if they say, and they need to be able to say i don't want to play stop and whether it be i don't know if um you've ever watched wrestling but in wrestling in professional wrestling where it's played in sport for school um they tap the mat so that and that means UFC let, let me thing. up yeah absolutely UFC does so it's it is yeah. almost like teaching our kids what are the safety words that stops a behaviour that we don't like because you asked before, Rach, about what's going to happen if we don't teach our kids this. If we don't teach our young people this now when they're little, we end up with consequences that we really don't want when they get older. Yep. Now I just wanted to just take a step back uh, and just talk a little bit more about the the, uh, family and friends scenario. So from your perspective, how can parents talk to family and friends about the concepts um, that, you know, that you're then teaching to your children? Because this isn't just a duty of a parent, you know, extended family members need to be encouraged to ask for permission for things like hugs and kisses also. And it isn't just their rights. Just because I'm your grandma and I haven't seen you in two weeks and I've really missed you or auntie or uncle or whoever it is, uh, you know, this is a bit of a um, it's a big shift in 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 um, you know I guess I don't know overall like for for family members to be able to understand that. But I just like to know how can parents open those conversations um, without people getting it, offended. It is a big shift, and sometimes they will get offended, and that's the hard part. But just gently have the conversation, whether it be around pinching the cheeks. Um, where grandma can, oh, so good to see you, and say, actually, we're, try, we're trying to teach little Johnny or little Susie uh, or our kids, we're, we're looking at really talking about consent and personal responsibility and it's okay to say no. So in our family, because and use fall back on the fact that it's been in the media, um, that's a really good one to say, you know, there's been a lot of talk about understanding respect and what respect looks like and the ability for people to say no and to understand that that's a boundary they can all have. Mm. So what we're trying to do at the moment with our children is teach them about that. So if they don't like something, you may see me as a parent modelling for them a way to deal with that. So it may be that I have to say to you if you're coming in and I know it's just a habit of pinching those cheeks, but if I see that Susie doesn't like that, then I'm going to say, Grandma, I can see Susie doesn't like that. Could you please uh, Could you please stop? Yep. And, and yes, it, I know it's just, uh, and you can acknowledge it, I know it's a family tradition, I know that you want to scoop them up and cuddle them, but at times our children don't like that. And so for some of our children who have sensory processing difficulties, who don't like certain smells, it can be very overwhelming, these behaviours, and yep. they may not like it. So what we need to be able to say is, look, 
we're modeling that and that's what we're doing at the moment you may hear me saying these things and the children may actually and I'm encouraging the children to say to their friends at school no I don't like that so you may get our children saying to you I don't like it please don't do it yeah it's not actually a sign of disrespect they're not trying to be disrespectful grandma or auntie or grandpa or uncle they're not we're not teaching them to not love you or not respect you we're actually teaching them to how to respect themselves and stand up for themselves so absolutely they still love you they still want you to have and want to have you as part of their lives but at the moment, this is what we're teaching them because ultimately what we teach them in early childhood becomes habituated oh, so 100%. that when this happens in adulthood, they're able to say, no, I don't like it, please stop. Yeah. And as hard as it is for grandparents or aunties or relatives to understand, you know, they, they just don't have the right to hug or kiss that child if they, if they don't want and feel comfortable um, in that scenario. But I wanted to touch on this also because you mentioned in the article it's worthwhile to explain um, to when you're taking your child to the GP to explain to them also what you're you're teaching your child and to get them to ask consent before touching your child in in any sort of normal examination also. Um, And as children get older, um, to explain that certain people have different levels of access to their body. For example, it's fine for mum to maybe hug them or family doctor if if the family doctor needs to touch them touch them to make sure that they are well and they are healthy, that it's okay, but it's not okay for for strangers to do these things. Could you maybe just expand on that um, a little bit more too? This for me is something critically important. I, in at the beginning of my career, I worked with young people who'd been abused, little people who'd been abused. So from birth all the way through to eight, nine, 10. And one of the things that these children didn't have was the understanding that everybody just can't touch their bodies, that they, and they needed to be taught. And that's why I, throughout my career, it's been critically important. This is your body. Nobody has a right to touch it unless, so mom and dad, and we often talk about the circle of um, influence or we talk about the safety circle with parents, but sometimes parent, and it's a terrible thing to say, but parents and family members or close friends, they can be ones that also unfortunately perpetrate abuse. So what I say to children is, uh, look, under where your togs go, so particularly where their togs go, we talk about their togs or their underwear, that's where if somebody needs to keep you safe, it could be mum, it could be dad at different times, but if you don't like what's going on, we talk about a feeling they might get in their tummy. If it feels wrong, they people will keep you healthy, but at other times you have the right to say, I don't like it. And if you don't like something that somebody is doing, touching you on those places, you need to tell somebody you trust. So tell mum or tell dad or tell um, the doctor. So you can tell, we talk about having those really critical safety net people in children's lives who they do trust and they can tell and say, hey, I don't like it. Uncle, Uncle keeps touching me on my chest and I don't like it. And it's those critically important conversations because ultimately we need our young people to like our little people to grow up into young people to say no that's my body i don't want you to touch it that way that's not okay yes and these concepts need to be modeled as early as possible in early childhood um needs to help children to begin to establish just their their boundaries and knowing what they are 
um, and understanding sort of what respect is and practicing that in, in just overall helping them feel empowered to be able to voice up and actually to voice their opinions, which is really important. Um, on that, I mean, how do you think that we can help our children to develop empathy and just respect for all, all people? So something that you mentioned earlier on as well. It starts, Rach, at a young age again, about how do you, where, when you go for coffee, if your child is with you, how do you speak to the barista? How do you, if somebody opens a door for you at a department store or if somebody opens a door, if you're getting in and out of a taxi or if you've got a cleaner or if somebody's cleaning in the street, how do you interact with everybody? Because how you treat one person is frequently how you will treat many people. And what I try and say to families and children and what I try and model through my life is a respect for all persons, that there is an unconditional positive regard. I may not like a person's behaviour, but as a person I will accept them hmm. and I will look and say, okay, there's, there's good in most people. 99.9% .9 of the people that I meet and work with, there is good in most people. And how can I show them that I respect the worth of that, of them as a person? And it really does come down to how do we deal with the people? How do we model respect? How do we model empathy? Also, it, it's also when you look at having a pet, having a pet helps children, whether it be a guinea pig, a bird, a fish, don't feed it too much or we've got to feed it, we've got to clean the water. So have it because in dirty, the fish won't like living in dirty water or the cat needs its cat litter changed or the dog needs fresh water. So understanding that other things and other people have needs and that those things, we need to take care of them. We need to respect them. We need to show them kindness and care. And I think that's how we live our lives as parents. If we are modelling that, our children will then pick up on that and do that as they get older. And that's how they'll teach their children. Which is a really great example because we've spoken about the fact that this, these conversations need to start as early as possible in preschool and early childhood. But let's say hypothetically a parent has got a child that's listening and watching this and their child isn't of that age, that they are older, um, they are in primary school, um, even even a tween um, and, and beyond. From that perspective, how if, if parents, for whatever reason, haven't had that conversation or haven't had that haven't had these conversations yet, which is fine because it's never too late. Do you have any other oh. advice? How, um, we're talking about age-appropriate conversations earlier on, how for, for that demographic and, and, and those age groups, like what, what are some conversations sort of starters for, for parents that, that is, we can sort of help? It is never too late. That's the first thing. It is never too late to start these conversations. So a, a tween or a, a young person in primary school, a tween and a teen, and you can have the conversation of saying it, it depends. You can also call out the behaviour. So if you've seen your child being disrespectful or if you've seen them doing certain things, you can, and sometimes, and I find it was often best to do this when I was driving, I'd say, hey, how's your day been? Look, I noticed this the other day when we were having coffee or something, the way you spoke to that person, that was a bit disrespectful. Do you understand what I mean by that? 
when and if they say oh no or yes yeah well the way you talk to them or the words you used or and so most probably um using an example that you've seen if you didn't like their behavior or you saw them being disrespectful or you thought that they needed to be guided in a certain way Mm. use that example and be gentle and be forgiving and say look I know you wouldn't have meant it but that's how it came across, whether it be to their sibling or to somebody else, that's how it came across. <coughs> now, these conversations um, that we're having between parents and children should also be encouraged between sort of their friends, kids and other students as well, because they need to learn how to cultivate a culture that doesn't support these types of behaviours within their friendship groups and how to maybe stand up and help friends who may not have been able to stand up for themselves and ultimately maybe put a stop to an issue like this and these issues taking place. Um, in the in these regards, if, if a child maybe isn't strong enough to be able to say something and or but they've shared it with their best friend, that best friend needs to know how and what to do also, don't you think? Yeah, and that's a critical part for primary school tween and teen is that if somebody shared something with you and this is something and they've said, oh, it's a secret, you need they need to be able to say, look, I want to help you. We can get help together. It's not okay that this is happening. And I don't know if you've seen in Australia at the moment, um, we have a... Um, we have a, a, it's basically about respect and it's unmute yourself. So find your voice. If you are seeing things like this, we need to find our voices. We need to unmute ourselves. Often we think it, but we don't actually say it. Now, yep. we need to make sure our children are safe. So make sure and say to them, look, you can step in and help others as long as you are all safe. So don't put yourself in an unsafe situation. If you're going to intervene and it's unsafe, then you most probably would be better to go and get an adult. Yes. If this person is bigger or they're threatening or those sorts of things, go and find help and come back. Yes. Or take that person with you and go and find help. So one of the things I say to families is role play it and say, what would you do in this situation? How would you deal with it? And come up with the words and say and be allow your children to feel confident enough to say, hey, that's not okay that that's happening. So it may be that they are seeing their friend gets text messages and um, that it's abusive text messages and their friend is saying, oh, look, this is what I'm getting. And you go, that's not okay. Yeah, that's actual verbal abuse. So we can get them to call it out or that's that's not okay because that they haven't asked if they could do that or if they've been seeing pictures that have been sent, that's not okay. So it's, again, giving them those answers when and to say to their friends, hey, this is not okay, or even to say to their parents, this is what's happened. Mm-hmm. Keep lines of communication open so yeah absolutely start in early childhood but through their primary school years their tween and their teen years keeping those lines of communication open is so critically important because ultimately what we want to make sure is that our kids can come to us if something like that's happening to them and say I need help yes now, on this, I, I really want to just briefly address what's been in the media recently, just for whatever reason, if, if a parent um, hasn't heard or, you know, part of any of these stories, um, as an example, really what can happen if children aren't educated and empowered on the concept of consent? Firstly, what, there was the online petition in New South Wales, which um, hundreds of former female students 
have shared their experience of being sexually assaulted by private school boys, which has been extremely concerning, as we all know. Um, and if you didn't hear, that's fine. Um, just briefly, the petition um, was started by a former uh, Kambala student in Rose Bay, um, eastern suburbs of Sydney, because, and quoting her, she was sick of constantly hearing my friend's experience of sexual abuse, um, which really called for a bigger focus on consent in sexual education and a focus on, um, you know, single-sex private schools as well, because I think that was a, a girls-only school, I believe. Um, so... You know, so so much so that this is actually called for the Australian government. Um, there's a, uh, a a division called the Respect Matters Program, namely it was called the the Good Society. They actually produced a series of short educational videos to be used as a resource, um, which were designed and meant to teach consent to, to school children. However, they really completely missed the mark and have um, been labelled as, as cringeworthy. Um, and starting with one in particular, which is the milkshake video, um, there's two other videos which have been removed as well. Um, and the reason for this, the video's messaging really was, was problematic um, and the subject um, was not dealt with in, in the right manner. It was quite flippant. So I'd just like to know from your perspective, do you think that this subject needs to be addressed head on with intelligence and respect and empathy um, overall? Yeah, absolutely. So it, it, it was a nightmare. So uh, I have no idea who got paid to do those ads. Uh, a lot of they money were completely inappropriate. Yeah. Um, but my concern is that we are seeing, whether it be, whether it be around the amount of pornography they're seeing, quite possibly, whether it's movies they're watching, we are seeing results, the end results of what's been going on for years, Rach, and this is what worries me. As you said, Chantel started that petition. It were, You then find out that these sorts of things have been happening in our parliament, that they're actually, it's not just New South Wales, Victoria, Queensland, around Australia stories are coming out about what's going on. Mm. And what worries me is that we, it needs to start at home, absolutely. But at the moment, it obviously hasn't been working starting at home because we've still got this situation happening. Mm -hmm. So yes, we need to teach it in schools. It needs to be started at home. It needs to be embedded at home, but it needs to be reinforced at school. So if things, I don't want to place more and more things on teachers in schools, but we have to teach respect of all persons. Yes, And that's the sort of thing that we need to understand is that this is, it, it's a respect for the human race. It's a respect for all persons. It's a respect for all ethnicities. It's a respect, it, it's about being an inclusive society yeah. where we understand that people are allowed to say and set their own boundaries and go, no, that is yeah. not okay. And yeah. it's time that we stepped up and had that happening but yes, the what they tried to do, it, no, it didn't work at all. I mean, so this milkshake video, um, for anyone uh, listening and watching doesn't know much about it, it ran for about approximately six minutes and it used metaphors to discuss consent, um, but avoided using words like sex, rape, and assault. Um, they have, of course, sensitive, um, as I said, two of them have been taken down. State governments have confirmed they're not uh, recommending the use of the materials in schools. Um, but Kari, I'd like to know, you know, do you think that this topic, if, if it isn't addressed properly, 
um, it can make it quite difficult for children to ad- address the subject seriously. If it is dealt with in a flippant sort of manner, we actually need to sort of put the the importance of each of, of these subjects on the, I guess, yeah, on, on the plate for, for discussion. Absolutely. And that's why in the article and you going back to the article, it is using the appropriate words, using the correct terminology. Rape is rape. A sexual assault is sexual assault. This is what it looks like because, unfortunately, and this is when you look at the research around this, one of the most, and this is the concerning thing for me, we there's been research looking at uh, how young children are exposed to quite hardcore pornography. And what's going on is that young men particularly who, or young boys, 11 and 12, so tweens and teens, who've seen this material don't Mm. understand that this is actually rape. This is not what sex looks like. This is not what consensual sex looks like at all. In fact, what they're seeing is sexual assault. What they're seeing is rape. And it's being portrayed in a manner where they think that this is what sex looks like. And unless we have these lessons that actually say not just about, and I know, Rach, you and I may have gone through school where you put a condom on a cucumber or something. No, it's actually looking and going, this is what a consensual relationship is. Yes. This is what a a respectful sexual relationship is. This is not when somebody is passed out drunk and you have sex with them, that is not got nothing to do with sex, like consent. That's in fact that no consent was given. So these are the sorts of conversations that need to be had, that we need to be using the correct terminology, that we need to be looking at what's going on in society, because ultimately if we don't use these, we're going to continue getting the same results we have now. And that's not acceptable for any of our thing because let me tell you this is also to do with our domestically violent relationships at the moment I I think this is all tied into the domestic violence we're seeing as well so it it, it's intertwined if you get my message I I hear you loud and clear loud and clear um and I hate to say this but the research does show and the stats do show that the majority of perpetrators are boys which grow to to be men um, and in this instance, you know, that they need to understand that when a girl says no, that they actually, they, they, they didn't mean yes, they did mean no. Um, and, you know, I guess in the instance with with consent, also that they need to understand, as you just said before, what is assault and what is rape and what is a consensual relationship as well. They really do need to understand that. Um, but in talking about the terminology as well, do you think that, that children overall, um, when we are discussing these things, that we need to be able to sort of, I mean, because they they do see, see hear, and, and they, they, they are very intuitive creatures, as we know, um, but at the same level that we need to give them some level of respect of their level of, 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 of intelligence, knowing mm-hmm. how to speak to them. Is, is, do you think that's what it is? It's just knowing how to and- have conversations? Yeah, it's uh, it's knowing your child and it's asking them what have they heard, what have they seen, and and keeping that conversation open. And it's not about demonising pornography. Uh, pornography is there; it is going to be there. We actually need to have that conversation around. You know, you might be seeing these sorts of things on your iPad or on the internet, or you might have heard them, or you might have seen them on phones or things like that. That is not real. <laughs> 
when we need to be talking about what's real, what it looks like, what, uh, and again, and I guess this is something I want to stress, I am not stressing that all men are like this. They're not. Um, there are wonderful men out there who are respectful, who are um, fathers, who are modelling this, who are modelling respectful relationships, who are there. It's just at the moment in the media what we are seeing so much of is this domestically violent behaviour and hearing about the lack of con- understanding of consent. Mm. And as you said, yes, it is unfortunately mostly male, well, it is males in the research that this is happening with. So we need to be able to understand where are our kids, not only vocabulary-wise, but where are they emotionally? What's going on for them? What do they understand? Yeah. And not overwhelming them with information, but giving age-appropriate information and having those age-appropriate conversations. And as I said, it may be when you're driving in the car or sometimes, and I know in my book I mentioned, I sat back-to-back with Mitchell often because you don't, sometimes it's hard to look them in the eye or they don't want, they want to do something else. Or, But you can tell when they're engaged in that conversation and having those things where you have those conversations that need to be had and these are the conversations that need to be had I know they may be tough particularly in teen like the primary school tween and teen years but these conversations need to be had because all of us would hate it for our son to be involved in something like that it would just be mortifying it is not acceptable behavior in fact it is assaultive behavior and we need to address it now to stop it from occurring again yeah. And I guess in this ever-changing just landscape of modern society where narcissism is becoming so much more widely acceptable, which, which should never, ever be acceptable, uh, and there's consistent added complications of, of social media that come into effect also, there's so many layers that we have in, in our lives now. But I'd love to know in general, do you think that these issues have always been around, that it's just now that we're on the back of, I guess, the Me Me Too movement uh, last year and all the other empowering global movements supporting women, which are just brilliant and called for and about bloody time, um, that we're moving closer to providing women with equal rights, that we finally feel comfortable to put up this topic for for conversation and under the spotlight um, overall. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Uh, it's been this past two months or three months has been an incredible time in Australia particularly and I guess I have been heartened by the fact that we are standing up women are having their voices heard and when you ask do you think has it been there for a while if you looked at that rally in Canberra where Brittany Higgins actually finally where she spoke there were women from the 60s, from the 70s. There's people who were in their 70s and 80s at that rally saying, this is what I have put up with. I put up with being grabbed on the butt. I put up with these sorts of things being made in my workplace. I was always, this was assumed. I was always degraded. So these women and the stories that are coming out, there's generations of stories coming out about how this has been perpetrated. And now we're finding a voice, whether it is off the back of the Me Too movement or whether we're we're now finding that voice to be able to say, actually, no, enough is enough. We have daughters. We don't want them to go through this anymore. It is not acceptable in this day and age to be having this happening. 
It is not acceptable that somebody gets let into Parliament House when they're clearly inebriated, where these sorts of things happen. It is not okay. This is not okay and we are not going to stand for it anymore. And the fact that politicians wouldn't even come out and meet with people and talk to them about it just irritated me, but that's a whole other story. But that's the sort of thing we need people to understand that now no people aren't going to be silenced. We're not going to talk about this and say, oh, let's sweep it under the carpet. No, we have daughters. We want better for our daughters. We want better for our young women in schools now. We want better for little people in, like girls in childcare and boys, but we want them to live in a respectful society. So absolutely agree with you, Rach. This has been going on for a long time. We're sick of it, and I'm hoping a line has been drawn in the sand. Yeah. Great chat today. Now, if you were to summarise, I guess, your key messages for anyone watching and listening, how would you just summarise everything that we've just spoken about? (laughs) What are the key things you want people to walk away with and remember from this chat today? That it's never too late. Whatever the age of your children, you can be role models for respectful, consensual relationships. That honestly, it is how we live our lives, the role models that we are, that provide the role models for our children. And that it's okay to say, no, I don't like that. Because sometimes even as adults, we get these big cuddles or whatever from people we don't want. And it's okay to have those boundaries. So absolutely. One, the first one, is we can start at any age and we can be the model for our kids. And two, it's okay to set personal boundaries for yourself. Awesome. Now, if anyone has got any questions uh, and or would like to reach out to you and, of course, buy your fantastic books, whereabouts can they find you? Uh, CarrieSutton.com. Awesome. We'll have all of those links in the show notes. Carrie, this has been brilliant. Thank you for your time. I'm grateful. Thank you for, for having me, Rachel. And just for all your wisdom and your advice, thank you so much. Take care and speak to you soon. See ya. Bye. Bye. I'm Rachel Monteleone and you've been listening to Kittypedia, the podcast. You can have full access to Kittypedia by visiting our website at kittypedia.com.au or following us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter and YouTube. We're all here to help make the world a better place for our children and for generations to come. You can start today by helping us reach other parents by going to Apple Podcast, subscribe, rate and review this podcast. Thank you for listening and be sure to give my love to the kids.